This podcast is brought to you by Bet365, the world's favourite online betting company. The Bet365 app lets you access pre-match and in-play markets and provides instant match updates across the biggest sports. Bet365's Bet Builder lets you create personalised bets and calculate the odds for any football match right there in your hands. Bet365 is the world's favourite online sport betting company. The app can be downloaded from Google Play and Apple App Store. Over 18s only. Please gamble responsibly. Hello and welcome to Straight Out of Cobham, the Chelsea FC podcast from The Athletic. So it's week two of the coronavirus-enforced hiatus in the football season, but that's not going to stop us from bringing you the very best Chelsea content. On this week's show, we'll reveal how Chelsea have been dealing with another week away from Cobham, why one former Blue has left his latest club on bad terms as a result of the coronavirus pandemic, and in line with the Athletics' 98-99 season reboot, we'll also reflect on what was arguably Gianfranco Zola's best ever season in a Chelsea shirt. This is Straight Outta Cobham. Yes, hello listener. Nice to have you with us for another virtual get-together. We're all in our houses. You may well be too, but that's not going to stop us getting our weekly Athletic Chelsea fix. I'm Matt Davis-Adams. Joining me on the line are the Athletic's three Chelsea experts. Hello, Liam Toomey. Hello. Come in, Dominic Fifield. Hi, how are you doing? Good, thank you. And welcome aboard, Simon Johnson. Hello. <laughs> it's a weekly high, isn't it, Simon? You know, you'd have, who said that this needs to be depressing? We've still got Simon's intros. <laughs> okay, we'll be stepping into our time machine soon enough, but first, let's round up the latest news. It won't take long. So, Liam, what's happening as regards the various teams as we record on Monday morning? They're not back together at Cobham, right? No, Cobham is still on partial lockdown. I, I believe there are some staff in there, but but none of the players. They're still confined to their houses um, when they're not sneaking out to five-a-side pitches as Mason Mount did a week mm-hmm. or two ago. But I think um, they're, they're all working out at home on, on exercise bikes and trying to trying to keep fit. I remember, saw some quotes from Willian saying that he, he can't even use the gym in his building. That's the extent to which um, Chelsea players have been told to stay indoors and not mix with anyone. And uh there isn't really a time frame on this right now. We we know that the Premier League have put back talk of any resumption until April 30th at the earliest. And so I think Chelsea are, are waiting to see how this situation develops and they haven't committed themselves to a, to a hard date in terms of bringing the players back for training because the last thing they want to do is get everyone back into Cobham and then have to send everyone home again if someone tests positive. So it's really just a case of wait and see. Uh, Dom, Liam mentioned the, the Premier League's uh, announcement that the competition's not going to resume any earlier than the end of April. Do you think that there's even a remote possibility that it will start then? If I'm honest, no. I mean, we all want it to. Everybody wants to be back to normal. We're all finding this very unsettling, I'm sure. But um, no, I, I can't see anything happening by the end of April. Um, I think... To be honest, May is probably pretty optimistic. Uh, so we're probably more likely looking at uh, the best case scenario, and we're all guessing, we're all guessing, but best case scenario, June, July, over the summer, trying to get the season finished um, as close as we can to, to that June the 30th deadline. Although even that, realistically speaking, it, we may be 
well be looking at much later into the summer before we actually see a sort of regular pattern of games again. Um, best case scenario again. Uh, but, I mean, they've given themselves some time. These The, the dates that they've come out with, the 30th of April uh, and beyond, the, they've bought themselves a bit of time to to, to construct a, a timetable for where we go going forward and taking into all those complicated aspects and legal aspects that we, we discussed last week in terms of player contracts, etc., where they're just buying a bit of time for themselves just to see where this goes and uh, how quickly countries recover. Uh, Simon, Chelsea doing their bit to help the overworked NHS. Uh, tell anybody who maybe missed the news what they've done with the hotel at Stamford Bridge. Yeah, this refers to the Millennium Hotel, which is one of two hotels at the stadium. And basically, rooms have been made available to NHS staff. Of course, Chelsea, uh, close to a number of hospitals, a couple uh, just down the road, one in, one including the Chelsea and Westminster Hospital. And you can understand that NHS staff are going through quite a tough t- time themselves. And basically, um, courtesy of Roman Abramovich's uh, generosity, um, these rooms are being made available for them to stay in. So it avoids the, the perhaps the stress of a commute. Um, who knows how long public transport will be made available to them anyway. And, um, and they can stay there for free. And, and this is at the moment just for a couple of months, but the option has been left open to extend that. And, and Chelsea very much leading the way in terms of um, setting an example for the nation. Um, because let's be honest, we need to look after the NHS staff just at a time when they're obviously looking after a number of the, the people that are struggling with this illness. Yeah, really good to see the club uh, doing whatever they can to help out in that regard. Okay, next up, we'll discuss the former Blue who's endured a bitter exit from his most recent club. Thanks to our good pals at Beer52.com, you have the opportunity to sip eight delicious, painstakingly sourced craft beers from around the world. All you need to do is go to www.beer52.com athletic and pay the postage of £4.95. And as if that wasn't enough, as a listener of the Athletic Podcast, you'll get two extra free beers. So that's 10 free beers. Beer 52 are beer pioneers. They travel the globe to find the best and most interesting beer from the greatest craft breweries planet Earth has to offer. No surprise then that they're the world's most popular craft beer discovery club. Each month, Beer 52 deliver a case with a different theme. Themes have included Germany, Korea, Belgium, South Africa, California, New Zealand and many more, but they haven't forgotten their roots. As an independent UK company, Beer 52 are also passionate about the UK craft beer scene. The beauty of Beer 52 is that you can leave any time. The power is in your hands. Your case will also include the award-winning craft beer magazine Ferment and a beery snack is thrown in just to top it all off. Just go to www.beer52.com athletic to get your free case. And don't forget, right now, the Athletic listeners get two extra free beers. So Simon snagged an exclusive interview for The Athletic with John Obi mikel Mikel John Obi, Obi John Mikel. Uh, the Chelsea Champions League winner was most recently at Trabzonspor, but he's walked out on the club. Uh, Simon, he had his reasons for doing so, and they were coronavirus related. Yeah, um, extraordinary stuff. Um, that basically, Mikel accused uh, Trabzonspor. This was before the Turkish Super League was, was officially called off. Now, Mikel... Um, posted a message on his own Instagram account ahead of what was to be the last weekend of fixtures, um, calling for the Turkish Super League to be called off because of the spread of this virus. And he was hauled in um, 
to the president's office and was told in no uncertain terms to take the post down. He was threatened with his place in the starting lineup um, in the game that was played on the Sunday. Um, he was actually named on the bench that day, so they certainly carried out that threat. And and Mikel basically made it pretty clear to me that that he was told that this club were prioritising winning the league over the coronavirus. Now, this is a very strong claim, a claim that I put to Trabzonspor. They they denied it, as you'd probably expect them to do so, as it's pretty damning for them. But funny enough, when I went back to Mikel and put the, the, the club's version of events back to him, um, let's just say that he was very strong in his denial over their version of events. So a, a very bitter fallout, but it says it all really that Mikel walked away from his contract. He had effectively two and a bit years left remaining and he agreed to just walk away for nothing. Huge hit for him financially, but for him being back with his with his partner and, and two young girls was, was worth it. And how, how did he seem when you spoke to him? Was he was he angry? Was he nervous? Was he a bit regretful, agitated about the whole thing? I think that the prime emotion was anger, one of anger that it, that it come to this. Of course, when I spoke to him about the reunion with his family, um, because they, they still live uh, very close to Chelsea's training ground, they remain behind uh, whilst he lived in a flat out in Trabzon. Um, of course, he, he talked a lot more positively. He was loving being back with being reunited with them again. But when talking about the football side of things, his split from Trabzonspor, it was one of real anger, as, as was emphasised by the fact that when I when I put it to him, would you consider going back to Trabzonspor once the coronavirus has disappeared, hopefully sooner rather than later from this planet? Um and he, in no uncertain terms, he said, no chance. Um, once once you treat me like this, once you put football before life, um, that there, there is no coming back. And uh, so now he, he's, he's obviously got plenty of time on his hands to consider his next move. Um, John Terry had actually already been in touch with him um, to offer perhaps a little bit of help with the training together, um, perhaps a presumably a couple of metres uh, apart. <laughs> um, but uh, but yes, obviously he's got a bit of time to consider his next move. But considering um, how well he was playing out there, and he was playing very well, Traps and Sport, top of the league, and they haven't won the title since 1984, um, there will be no shortage of offers, even though you know he's in the latter part of his career. He's 32 now, but um, everyone would love a bit of... Uh, uh, Mikel's maturity in the middle of the pitch, I'm sure. And Liam, j- just thinking about what Simon said there about John Terry, it, you know, we don't know what the legal status is with, with his contract with Trabzonspor or when the league's going to kick off again, but you think that maybe Aston Villa might be a decent destination for him because he played in England last season, of course, with Middlesbrough. Yeah, possibly. I mean, I can't say I'm hugely up to date with what level of performance Mikel is is currently playing at but he he was clearly doing quite well in Turkey starting for a team that was top of the league so that would suggest that he can still do a pretty solid job at, at Premier League level now whether he could bring enough to to sort out Aston Villa's defensive problems I, I'm not sure he he'd have his he'd have his work cut out for him there but um you know clearly he made not just the right decision for him but I think a, a totally morally justifiable decision I mean Turkey was the last league in Europe to cancel its all football, and uh, and I think that reflects pretty badly. But I think 
you know, it's been a broader problem with football where they've been very slow to realise that not just they shouldn't carry on while while this virus is sweeping the globe, but they actually can't carry on because players will get infected, coaches will get infected. And, you know, we only have to go back a week or two to the Premier League releasing a statement saying that all games would go on, go on as planned. And then less than an hour later, Arsenal releasing a statement that Mikel Arteta tested positive so I mean I think money has clouded judgments of of key decision makers in football generally um, and as long as there isn't really leadership from the authorities you're not going to get that leadership from teams because they're all looking out for themselves as well but fair play to, to Mikel for making a decision which has cost him financially but has clearly you know, he felt the right thing to do. Mm. And Dom, you've written for The Athletic on how Englishmen abroad are, are coping without football. And for that, you spoke to another player out in Turkey in uh, Stephen Corker. Uh, fascinating insight from him. For anyone who missed it, to tell us how it's been affecting him. Well, up until really early, late last week, Ruddy, that it, it wasn't affecting him particularly because they were still playing games, albeit behind closed doors. He had, He'd played... Last weekend, scored the only goal of the game in an empty stadium. The he plays for Alanya Sport, a club in the on the south coast of Turkey, the turquoise coast, um, and they're having a, an unbelievable season. I mean, they're a very very unfancy club. It's a sort of I don't know the equivalent size of a, a bit bigger than a Bournemouth, but not but, but not much bigger. Um, and they're sixth in the table at the moment, having led earlier in the season. Um, and they're in the semi-finals of the Cup, where they're 1-0 up after the away leg against their local rivals, Antalya Spor. So things were going well, and, and he, he scored this winning goal, empty stadium, found it very strange, didn't know whether to celebrate or not. The club had put up this sort of figure behind one of the goals, a massive giant banner of a, of a supporter with a, wearing a bandana and arms outstretched and rather cross-eyed, if sinister, look on his face. And it was designed to sort of represent the ultras uh, being there, but but not being there. Uh, clearly didn't do any good at all. Um, he said it was the most surreal experience of his footballing career, really, and not one that he particularly enjoyed. But they won the game. Um, and then in the, the days subsequently, I think Turkey realised that how ridiculous it was. that Galatasaray played Besiktas behind closed doors and this is a game that normally would stop the country I mean everybody would be watching it it was a goalless draw anyway but apparently people were just turning off the televisions there was nothing to it it was it was like watching a training session so I think that sort of sent a few shockwaves out and then the Galatasaray players they started canvassing for uh, games to be stopped they were uncomfortable with it in much the same way that um, that Mikel had been um, but again, it, I think it was Wednesday last week, the president of the Turkish Football Federation was still saying that the league would continue. And then on the Thursday, they, they scheduled another meeting and said, actually, we're going to have another think about this. And indeed, that's when they postponed the league. So they're now, much like every other league in, in Europe, uh, basically on pause. Um, Stephen Corker was given four days off. Um, but the, they were told, all the players were told not to leave Elania, um, which is a tourist town with nobody in it at the moment. Um, so all very surreal. They haven't had any cases of, of COVID-19 in, in Elania as yet, or they hadn't at the time. Um, but they're due back in training uh, tomorrow, I think, um, to to start work again for a league that, that may not start up again for months. 
Um, and they're just sort of the impression is that they're just making this up as they go along, uh, as it's it's taken them, as it's taken most football federations, completely by surprise. Yeah, well, no doubt it's a hugely worrying time for everybody, no matter where in the world you are. Uh, best thing to do, take a trip down memory lane. We'll do that next as we get rebooted. This athletic podcast is brought to you in association with Stitch Fix, an online personal styling service that takes the hard work out of dressing well. To get started, go to stitchfix.co.uk forward slash athletic, fill in a style quiz and tell us about your personal style, budget, size and shape and your clothing needs and wants. A personal stylist will then send you five items of clothing, each handpicked especially for you from our selection of 100 brands, including established names and -and up-and-coming designers. Try on everything at home and style with other items in your wardrobe. You can then pay for what you love and send back the rest. For your stylist time, you pay a charge of just £10, which is deducted from the cost of anything you decide to buy. Remember, you try before you buy. Delivery and returns are free both ways, and you don't need a subscription to sign up. Get started with Stitch Fix today and support our podcast by going to stitchfix.co.uk slash athletic right now. That's S-T-I-T-C-H-F-I-X dot forward slash athletic. So there are a series of articles available to peruse on The Athletic just now where writers look back on the 1998-99 Premier League season. Uh, Simon, you've definitely earned your interviewer's badge this week. You spoke to Bernard Lambord as part of the series. Uh, Younger listeners and Liam might not have been following Chelsea when he was around. Tell us a bit about Lambord. I'm not having that. (laughs) (laughs) How old were you, Liam? 98-99 season five? I was... Oh, come on. I was 10. <laughs> Still disgusting. Uh, <laughs> all right. So Liam remembers the career of Bernard Lambord with great fondness. But but for anybody who, who doesn't, Simon, uh, tell us about him, the player, and, and how he reflected on that season and, and his time at Chelsea in general. Lambord was sort of the perfect kind of squad player, really. Um, he, he was the defender, signed on the cheap, one and a half million pounds from Bordeaux. Um, but you have to bear in mind that he faced a lot of competition at his preferred position at centre-back, uh, particularly once Desai arrived in 98. So he had uh, Desai, LeBeuf, uh, Michael Dubry and and a young John Terry um, to compete with. So sometimes he'd be played in other positions, including right back and, and even midfield. But he did a, a steady job. Um, not not uh, a player that will live long in the memory of, of Chelsea fans, and, and and actually he was quite surprised when I rang him up, <laughs> particularly to talk <laughs> about his goal uh, against Valerenga, uh, which was his first of, of three mighty strikes uh, for Chelsea in his career uh, at the club, um, and he was very self-deprecating, but. Um, a, a very popular figure in the dressing room. He, he certainly sort of got on well with everyone. Showed the right attitude when he when he was called upon. Um, he particularly um, wanted to talk about his goal against Tottenham, which came a few uh, the following season. Um, and he was he was very keen to talk about that because it was a a bit of technique. He said, you know, I showed the world that I wasn't just a defender um, because he he lobbed Ian Walker. Uh, from quite close range to give Chelsea um, their their normal win at the time at what they at fans affectionately called three point lane, um, but um, but yeah, as far as ninety eight ninety nine goes, he, he he certainly talks about it with with a lot of regret um, because as he said to me, everyone remembers the 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 two thousand five and and Chelsea winning the Premier League for the first time in fifty years. 
where the Chelsea squad that Land Board was was involved in came very very close to, to actually winning the title. Uh, obviously, six years earlier, and they lost out narrowly to the treble winners, Manchester United. But Chelsea led the league for a lot of that season. Um, they only lost three times, which was a remarkable, remarkable achievement. Um, but they just missed out, unfortunately. And as he said, experience sort of perhaps made the difference in that whilst a lot of the players in that group had international caps to their name, um, basically none of them or the majority of them had never won the Premier League. And, and he felt that that was perhaps the difference between Chelsea finishing top and, and just missing out by four points. Well, if we look at that season a bit more broadly, then um, as you say, look at it on paper, it looks okay. Third place, Champions League qualification, quarterfinals of both domestic cups and the semis of the now defunct Cup Winners' Cup. But as Simon said there, a story of so near yet so far. Chelsea within four points of Manchester United could easily have been reflecting on their first ever Premier League title win. But I suspect for more than a few Chelsea supporters, when they think back to that season, they think about the imperious form of one Gianfranco Zola. Uh, this was maybe, Liam, his standout season. I'm guessing he was he made quite a big impression on, on the 10-year-old Toomey and, and was a big part of you getting into football, given he was so graceful in this season in particular. Oh, the 10-year-old Toomey was impressed. Um, no, Zola, I think, remains my favourite Chelsea player and a large part of that status was earned in, in this season. You know, it was, it was his best tally in the Premier League, so, some pretty memorable strikes as well, but also probably his most consistent football. You know, he was always a player of, of moments rather than um, rather than maybe 90-minute domination. Um but you know, there were more moments I think in the ninety eight ninety nine season than than any other. We have to remember as well that that Zola was thirty when he arrived at Chelsea, so he was he was already um, in the kind of early twilight of his career when he started doing this. And I think it's it's a toss up when you're when you're thinking about Zola's Chelsea legacy of whether this season or the two thousand and two oh three season is actually his his best because he was he was clearly you know, a veteran at that point and managed to uh, almost get to, to 15 league goals again, despite the fact that he was clearly on the way out at Chelsea and little did we know it, but Abramovich was coming in as well. Um, but Zola was was central to everything that Chelsea did during this season. And uh, in the end, I think they, they just weren't quite consistent enough as a team and maybe not quite ruthless enough. You mentioned the, the lack of title winning pedigree in the group. And that's something that United had in spades and I think that that maybe made the difference particularly when um, when they went 2-0 up against Leicester a few weeks before the end of the season <laughs> Yeah we, we've been told not to mention Steve Guppy so we'll keep that as the only reference. Um, Dom in terms of Zola he this wasn't his first season at Chelsea but, but he did hit the ground running as soon as he arrived in English football. Have you got a theory as to why that was? Was it maybe because the type of player he was and where he operated on the pitch was not something that was common in the Premier League at that time and it kind of bamboozled opposition defences and managers in, in terms of how to deal with him. Yeah, quite possibly. I mean, I think he'd fallen out at Parma really because it may have even been Ancelotti who who, who stopped playing the, the sort of conventional number 10 role that, that Zola believed was his best position. And that was one of the reasons that Chelsea got the got the player for what, looking back, was a, a, a bargain fee. Um, but you have to bear in mind that he was he was a genius. I mean, he he probably in a in a 
in a league where it was it was a bit helter skelter, uh, probably not quite had the, the same defensive acumen maybe that you had in Italy. Um, and he could possibly flourish in more space in the sort of helter skelter nature of the of the English Premier League at the time. Um, I mean, if you look at Manchester United, I think won the league that year and they conceded almost a goal a game. Um, it was only really Arsenal that was stingy to play against. Um, that sort of summed it up. But he would find that space and he he would time that, that those those runs from deep. I mean, a couple of the memorable goals that he scored in 98-99, I think it was Middlesbrough and Oxford in the Cup. Very, very similar. Um, running, into, running onto diagonal passes beyond the bat line and then chipping an on-rushing goalkeeper. And they were sort of became trademark Zola strikes, but he was a genius. I mean, it was the, the quickness of the the way he struck the ball, the, the pace of it all, take take defenders and goalkeepers by surprise. And he'd, he'd do it on the swivel. He'd uh, he'd fire these shots off from the edge of the area and and then unerringly into the corner of the of the net. And yeah, a little genius at, at work and and a joy to watch. Couple of goals from Zola that Dom's referred to there, and along with the 98-99 season reboot, uh, the guys have been choosing their best ever Chelsea goals for another athletic-wide series of articles. Simon, yours was actually scored by Zola, wasn't it? Yes, it was. It was. Um, I mean, everyone will remember it when I when I talk about it. Is the Zola back heel volley against Norwich in the FA Cup in uh, 2002? Um, third round replay at Stamford Bridge. I was, I was fortunate enough to be there to, to see it in, in sitting for my, uh, my vantage point in the press box, but you had to watch it on replay a number of times. In, in fact, I've watched it numerous times in, in writing the piece. Um, and I've spoken to Gianfranco about it as well as a good friend of the athletic Rob Green, um, who was in goal, uh, that, that night for Norwich. And, um, yeah, let's just say that they both sort of share, the uh, their their opinion of but basically they didn't sort of almost realise what had happened at the time. Even Gianfranco was very humble about it. Um, it was very difficult to pick a goal from Zola because there are so many over the years. Just just in the Chelsea shirt alone, um, you could go back to his first season, even where he sent Julian Dix this way and that uh, in, in a game against West Ham. There was his amazing goal against uh, Wimbledon in the FA Cup semi-final. Um, I think there's another one against Manchester United that season. Um, there's just goals galore. Um, but this one I particularly uh, liked because not only was it an amazing bit of skill that basically few players on the planet can produce, um, but also for what happened afterwards. Um, I was in the press room, the very unusual... Uh, situation of a player coming in to give the press conference. Claudio Ranieri, uh, who's manager at the time, stepped aside and, and Gianfranco came in and, and gave a heartfelt press conference where he revealed that he dedicated a goal to a sick boy who'd sadly passed away. He, he'd only met him uh, within a few weeks of, of that game, had promised to score a goal for him. Sadly, it came too late, but he, he still dedicated this goal um, to this boy's memory and to and and to this boy's family, who reached out to Gianfranco afterwards and and thanked him for that gesture. And and, and in many ways, that the, the goal, the touching gesture afterwards, sort of summed up Gianfranco the talent and also Gianfranco the man. 
Wow, that's a really great story. And of course, um, Zola was part of Maurizio Sarri's backroom team last season when I know that he acted as a bridge and somebody who would kind of smooth things over between Sarri and the various people that, that he'd upset. Uh, so Gianfranco Zola, the subject of this week's rebooted 1998-1999 season, will be looking at other aspects of the Chelsea campaign throughout the coming weeks. Now then, before we go, just time to meet another cult hero. And today's inductee comes from that season which we've been discussing. So this week's cult hero is Pierluigi Casiraghi. The Italian striker joined Chelsea from Lazio in the summer of 1998, but would make just 15 appearances for the club after suffering a career-ending knee injury. Uh, Paulie Walnuts, not the Sopranos associate presumably, has tweeted us to ask, how significant was the Kaziragi injury? Would we have been better had he not got injured or was it a blessing in disguise? I'm too young to remember how good he was for us. And what do you think, Simon? It, it certainly worked out in Torre Andre Flo's favour. It did, but it, it was an injury that definitely came back to hurt Chelsea because um, two of their goal scorers, including Flo, uh, Poyet was the other one, um, suffered injuries at sort of around the same time, um, just after the Christmas period, if I remember rightly, um, and they were out for a couple of months and, and Chelsea really suffered uh, with their absence and Kazaragi would undoubtedly have helped. Um, he, he was a very unlucky striker in the brief time he was on the pitch for Chelsea. Um, he, he sort of shots would come off the woodwork and goalkeepers would make remarkable saves and he was a very frustrated man um, you could see him visibly on the pitch um, as the goal just wouldn't come for him but as I think we're about to touch upon his one goal for Chelsea would be fondly remembered I was actually in a pub I wasn't working as a journalist at the time I was just in there I'd finished a shift at a restaurant I worked at. And let's just say that um, the the attendees were all as one as a replay of this goal was shown, and particularly Phil Babb's unfortunate uh, role in it, which you're now going to explain in your own words, Matt, I'm sure. Yeah, I'm just remembering pubs and restaurants, to be honest. Those are the days. <laughs> eh? <laughs> so, the, so this goal came for Chelsea at, at, at Anfield and Dom. As Simon said, it, if Phil Babb doesn't remember it that fondly, uh, Kaziragi probably does. It was in front of the Chelsea fans as well, wasn't it? Yeah, at the Anfield Road end, I think. And uh, yeah, he takes it around the keeper, taps it in and poor Phil Babb is sliding in at pace in an attempt to block on the goal line and I defy any man on the planet to watch that without wincing it's, it's readily available on Twitter and, and YouTube and it is excruciating the the impact as he uh, as he as he meets the post um, and, but you know great moment for Kasiragi obviously he didn't have very many of them in a Chelsea shirt but uh, yes Paul Fearbar but I suspect he's probably blocked that from his memory yeah, and kind of sad for Kaziragi as well that the one Chelsea goalie did score is not remembered for the fact that uh, that he scored it. Um, Liam, Kaziragi wasn't happy with how Chelsea handled his, his injury and the subsequent retirement that it enforced. He told the Independent in July of 2000, I've had no help from England, either from club officials or medical staff. You look at that now through 2020 uh, eyes and it seems most un-Chelsea-like. I think you look at Chelsea now and they've got such an extensive medical staff and they, they pride themselves on taking what Man City would call a as holistic approach as possible in kind of all aspects of, of looking after players. Um, I think Chelsea was a, a slightly different club then as well where they, 
you know they didn't quite have the the resources they do now but they still had the same ambition and i think there there was a, a ruthless edge to that ambition with with the chelsea hierarchy back then and i think they realized after maybe operation number five or six uh that Kasaragi was not going to be part of their long-term plans and and you know you touched on earlier how Kasaragi's injury might have cost Chelsea it didn't just cost them that season because the following summer they felt compelled to go into the transfer market and buy Chris Sutton who of course <laughs> didn't work didn't work out particularly well either so um yeah I, I think they 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 just realized that he wasn't going to be part of the then moving forward and then it was kind of out of sight out of mind really as ruthless as that sounds uh it was i think that was the the attitude of chelsea at the time it's a, it's a real shame that kasaragi's career ended that way because he he had a really decorated career up to that point and an italy international he'd done he had a good career in serie a and and could have had a couple of really nice years at chelsea particularly at a premier league club with a lot of other italians that could have helped him settle in very quickly yeah, it looked like a great match on paper, but uh, he had to finish as a result of that injury. Since retirement, Kazuragi tried his hand at coaching, most notably uh, with the Italian under-21 side, and latterly as Gianfranco Zola's assistant during their ill-fated time in charge of Birmingham City. Uh, one of the sadder stories, I think it's fair to say, that we've looked back on in this series, Pierluigi Kazuragi, this week's cult hero. OK, that's just about it for today. Before we go, though, chaps, what have you got up on The Athletic at the moment? Uh, Liam, you've got a new article, I believe. Yeah, so I, over the weekend, we ran a piece in which I explored at great length what Chelsea's best eleven might be if everyone was fit, because that isn't a situation that, that Frank Lampard has faced so far, particularly with the likes of Ruben Loftus-Cheek, who, who hasn't kicked the ball for him yet. So... Um, take a look at that feel free to ridicule my suggestions and uh but be be kind in the comments and um and this week i actually have a piece on coventry that i've been working on uh, that should be running later on but in terms of chelsea content uh i've written a piece about how how close chelsea came to losing stanford bridge 30 years ago uh, and the whole battle between ken bates and marler estates cabra estates and and the, the the uncertainty that overshadowed the 1980s at Chelsea. Sounds good. Simon, presumably you've been interviewing Jakob Kjellberg about something. <laughs> no, it's on my to-do list. No, before I, I take a... Well, it's up to people to decide if it's a well-earned break. Me and Liam will be combining our forces once again to basically try and reveal what the Chelsea players are, are doing right now and, and whether, you know, what what the club are sort of what instructions the club are, are giving them in terms of staying fit, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So, yeah, as as with many clubs, I think we, we're doing it across the athletic. But um, as far as Chelsea are concerned, me and Liam are going to try and provide a bit of insight into what all those players are doing as we speak. And on this piece that we uh, we referenced earlier about about Englishmen abroad, it wasn't just Stephen Colker who you spoke to, was it? You got some good quotes from uh, from other players currently playing their trade outside of England. Yeah, credit due to Jordan Campbell on on that. He he spoke with some of the Brits playing in the A League. I believe that has now also been suspended. Um, but at the time of writing, uh, they were still playing behind closed doors. So the likes of Joe Ledley, uh, Carl Robinson, and Kenny Miller are both coaching down there at the moment. Um, and yeah, it was it was a a piece about how these guys are coping in isolation, really, away from their 
from their families at this time, families on the other side of the world, a lot of whom were meant to join them in these countries um, while they pursued their, their footballing careers. But those obviously now on hold. Um, my, my, my week ahead is looking a bit like another recap of 98-99, though I'm not quite sure where it's going to take me as yet. I suspect into talk of financial meltdown at a, at a rival Premier League club um, in South London. All right, look forward to reading that. Remember to follow uh, all three of the guys, by the way, on The Athletic, and then you get easy access to their stories. And if you listen to this podcast through The Athletic app, you get an ad-free version too. From Dom, from Liam, from Simon, and from myself, thanks for your company today. What say we all meet back here next week? Until then, bye for now.